It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. Hey, we're the defective characters. Three guys sitting around talking about our personal experience in recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. James here. The opinions are our own. We do not represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship. Today, Albert will be sharing his experience, strength, and hope with us in this episode six of the Defective Characters podcast. Let's go. Albert, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story with us today. James, will you introduce Albert for us? Yes, thanks, Mike. Uh, thanks for getting this started. Um, it's funny, I, I actually saw Albert the first time a few weeks ago. I went to the East Side Club because my my wife was going to go to a fireside meeting. It'd be just wonderful to go to a meeting, uh, sitting around a fire, um, you know, and just uh, everyone just sharing their experience, strength, and hope with each other. But it turns out that that particular time, the first time I went, it wasn't going to be a fireside meeting. It was going to be a speaker meeting. So my first thought was like, oh, I was kind of bummed, but – then um, I actually met Albert before he went up there to speak. I didn't know he was the speaker. And then he got up there and he told his story. And um, he did it in a way that was just, he just kept me on the edge of my seat. Like, I was like, oh, this is great. I love this. I got to ask him to be on the, the podcast. And, um, you know, it was kind of, you know, I think that was, he doesn't go to that meeting a lot either. So the fact that we were both there on that one time just to get his story so he could, we could bring him onto the podcast was cool. So I asked him, and, you know, in true AA fashion, he said, yes, sign me up. So that's where we're at now. So thank you very much, Albert. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Um, so my name is Albert. Um, I am definitely an alcoholic. Um, I could refer to myself as many other things, too. Um, but it's, uh, really, um, how could I put it? It's, uh, really not important. Um, so, uh, and I'll explain that a little down the, down, down the line. Uh, but for now, uh, you could just consider me an alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date, the last time I drank, uh, was, uh, May 12th of 2016. So that would make my sobriety day 2000, um, sorry, May 13th. Um, but, uh, there was a period of time from about May 13th to somewhere around September of that same year. So probably four months, close to four months where, um, I was just not drinking and that's simply what I was doing. I was, I was, I was simply not drinking. So that leads me to, you know, that, that thing that I said at the beginning about being an alcoholic and being a bunch of other things too. Um, uh, if, if you're to, to those out there who are listening, um, if your problem is drinking and you need to stop drinking, 
Well, there's, there's not much to it. I mean, I, I stopped drinking on May 13th and all I did was like, like they say in the rooms, put the plug in the jug. Um, what else do they say? They say, um, get yourself a sponsor. They say, um, go to 90 meetings in 90 days. They say, uh, don't date a girl for, or, or get into a relationship within a year or, or things like that. And, and all those things come from a good place. Someone somewhere down the line in the last 80 years of, of this fellowship, um, of the AA fellowship thought it would be helpful to tell someone that they're helping to do those things. And I completely understand um, where they came from because I could see myself doing those things. However, those things I had tried before and I was trying them again and I had drank again. um, And I am fully convinced that I would have drank again if that's the only thing that I was doing. Those things that I did to stop drinking, you know, plug, put the plug in the jug, just simply, simply just stop, right? don't drink no matter what that just, just stop drinking. Um, I did that. And so I stopped drinking for some time, but I would always find myself stone cold sober, making the decision to go use or drink again. Um, and this had happened repetitively for close to two years. Um, clearly I can now see that it was much longer than that. I had, I, I really wanted to, to stop my, my terrible conduct and my, you know, hurting people and all the things that I did in, in my, in my using and drinking um, long before the, before 2014, but from about 2014 to 2016, definitely I, you know, I was in and out of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, just trying to stop this thing, trying to get, trying to, to, to change my life, to, to be the person that I knew I could be the person that I would lay down at night and I would, you know, I would talk to myself saying I could be a good person. I could be a really helpful person. If I, you know, if I just get my stuff together, man, I need to really get it together. And, and, and I could be this person. I, I know I can, but I could never actually apply it. I would, I would always end up, like I said, down the line with a drink in my hand or, or, or with a drug in my hand. And, um, for me, that, that amount of time usually was just around that time, three to four months. Um, one time it lasted five months, but I know that I was in a place um, around September of that year where I was going to drink again. Um, and so I walked into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I had a good job. I just got a job. Um, that Actually, the same job that I have right now. I'm a teacher. It's a respectable job. I was wearing my nice, you know, long sleeve button down shirt with a tie, um, with my car that I currently have, same car that I currently have. And I had just bought that car. So you could imagine the feelings that I had for that car were much stronger. I walked into that room, that particular room. Um, I'm not sure if you heard me, but I've been trying to do this for, for quite some time. Um, and I had already, you know, been to meetings at, at the West Side Club for, for a long time. And, but I walked into this meeting with my nice tie and my nice shirt. And from the outside looking in, I had gotten it together. Right? I had some money. I wasn't spending it on booze and alcohol. Uh, my personal relationships seemed to be getting better because I wasn't stealing from people and uh, going off and just disappearing. 
like I used to. Um, I had a job and I had a car and from the outside looking in, anybody would have said, or at least anybody that doesn't suffer from this, from this disease would have said, well, what's wrong with you? And this is where many of us will go to a psychiatrist. And of course, there's got to be something wrong with us, right? There's got to be some kind of disorder. There has to be some kind of depression. There has to be some kind of clinical thing that has to be explained because if you have everything, why are you feeling this way? Well, what I didn't know and what somebody had to tell me and what somebody did tell me that day is, oh, that's no big deal. Seems like to me like you're an alcoholic. And that's exactly what he said to me. He said, seems like to me you're an alcoholic. And the whole time that I had been, that I had heard that word from, from a long, long time ago and that I was exposed to through 21st century um, popular culture, I had been exposed to what AA is. And then I had been actually exposed to what, a, what I thought AA was in the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, yet nobody had actually showed me what an alcoholic was. And he told me so plain and simple, I was desperate, I was dying, and he was so calm and so collected. And he was just like, it just seems to me like you're dying of alcoholism, like you're, you're an alcoholic. That, that's what's going on. And it, I couldn't grasp that. I couldn't grasp that because I hadn't drank in, two, in four months. And so he told me, and I assure you this, Albert, you're an alcoholic. It seems, it seems like he, he didn't say that I was an alcoholic, but it says, it seems to me what, what you're describing means you're an alcoholic like me. And I assure you this, Albert, you will drink again. Plain and simple, he told me, you will drink again and you will die of alcoholism. But he followed that threat. And, the, and he followed that threat with a very simple solution. And it was, you're going to die of alcoholism unless you do something about it and you get down to the causes and conditions of what that is. And I can tell you how to do that. And if you'd like to know how to do that, we can meet up. Um, I'd like you to read the first uh, couple chapters of this book and then we can meet up and, and get started on this. And I said, okay. Um, and the reason I said okay was because I was so freaking scared. I was so scared of drinking again. And the way he said it, you will drink again. Like I believed him and I believed him be only because I had done it so many times. Can you guys still hear me? Yep. Okay. So, so many times that, that I, I truly believed them. And I was so scared that I began to meet up with him weekly uh, and began to work the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, um, all of that being said, that was kind of like an intro, <laughs> but all of that being said, um, on page 29 of this book, it tells me, or I should say it, it, it talks about the, the personal stories in the back of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and the, if you're not familiar with the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's, um, it is the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and it, it, um, detailed and uh, at the back, in the back of it are 42 stories, just like the one I'm telling you about myself. And it tells, it says, and I quote, each individual in, their in the personal stories describes in his own language and from his own point of view, the way he established his relationship with God. Now, when I came into this, when I came into this program, I could not even really say the word God, man, I really had a real big problem with that word. Um, I truly did. Um, but at the same time, 
I'm not talking to everybody at this, you know, with this podcast, uh, with this, in this story, I'm not talking to everybody. And when I had a, you know, in 2014, 15, then I was going to meetings and I was leaving meetings because of the word God. I simply wasn't ready to hear what I'm about to share. Um, so if somebody turns off this podcast because, you know, they're listening to it and they hear the word God and, you know, that's, that's okay. I, I'm okay with that. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, tend to, you know, to everybody here. I'm, I'm speaking to one person, that same person that I was when I walked into that meeting, a person dying of something and feels that they're dying of something that they do pretty much don't want to live. That's the feeling that I'm saying. They don't want to live, but they don't want to drink again. And they're stuck in this corner. And so to those people, even if they, if, even if they do have a problem with God, like I did, I was willing to hear it because I was willing to do whatever you told me. I truly would have worn a dress if you told me to wear a dress for, for two weeks. And that's how you recover from alcoholism. Well, I would have done it. Only thing is my sponsor didn't tell me to do anything. He didn't give me any direction in the sense of, of, of his personal direction. He didn't give me, told me to, he didn't tell me to make 90 meetings in 90 days. He didn't tell me to call him every day. He didn't tell me to, to um, uh, not date a girl or date a girl or move to New York or not move to New York. Uh, he didn't run my life. <laughs> uh, I remember the first time I asked him about something like a girl or something. He goes, are you kidding me? I can't manage my own life. How do you expect me to manage yours? That's, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I will tell you this. If you do this, and that's the only thing he would always bring me back to. If you do this, the way it is outlined in the book, if you, do, you deal with the spiritual first, the mental and the physical will follow. Those decisions will be clear to you what it is that you have to do whether move to New York or not, whether date that girl or not, whether change jobs or not. And so um, explaining this, and uh, I remember that I, I said, I, I read that little part in page 29 uh, where I met James and I mentioned to everybody that describing how I established my relationship with God uh, in my own language usually involves a lot of curse words. Um, it's, you know, I, I prayed about it before before uh before you guys called me for this podcast because that's simply the only thing i can do about things see when i try to stop drinking i usually fail i i my higher power is the one that gave you know allows me not to drink if i try to stop womanizing if i stop cheating on my girlfriend whatever it is that i find myself powerless uh in doing i'm powerless in doing it and so i can't stop myself and so for this uh, not cursing thing, it's I usually don't try to not curse. Um, I pray about it, and uh, it seems to be going pretty well right now. So hopefully it's like that. But um, as far as my own language and how I established my relationship with God, well, first, I had to be hopeless. I had to be so hopeless that that word God didn't bother me, even though I considered myself an atheist. I, I had to be so hopeless that I was willing to do anything and everything that somebody told me to do, even though that person didn't tell me to do anything except follow the instructions in this book. But I had to be willing to do all these things. And for me to be willing to do all these things, I had to be open-minded because I had to be open-minded to the fact that I might be wrong. 
And more than that, I had to be open-minded that I might be wrong about everything. Every little thing that I think I know how it is, I might be wrong about it. So I went into it hopeless and therefore open-minded that there might be a better way to live. Um, and that being said, um, you know, on page 58, it's, which a lot of people will, will quote when they're, when they're speaking, um, am I still here? Cause my, my screen went blank. You yeah. are. Yep. Okay. Um, so in page 58, it says our stories disclose in a general way, what we used to be like, what happened and what we are like now. And, um, it's, a in my, the way I was sponsored, the way that this book, uh, every time that I read it, every time that I go through it with another, with another human being, with another alcoholic, usually, um, or drug addict. Um, every time I, if I, 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 I go through this, I realize even more each time, even more that is not talking about simply how I used to be. Actually, as a matter of fact, I realize this as I live my life, as I live my life and make mistakes, I realize truly that I am not this great man, this perfect, this, 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 I don't know, man, this, 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 this person to worship or to like, man, look at Albert. He's such, you know, I'm not, um, this did not by any means, like, it's not like I, I used to be this terrible person. I did this process and now I'm a great man. Um, it's, that's not what that is saying. Um, what it was like, what happened and what, what it's like now that is simply, I am a certain way with certain things. For example, some people are not womanizers. I am. Some people are not addicted to cocaine. I am. Some people are not addicted to heroin. I am not. You know what I mean? I, I never, I tried opiates like here and there and, and it was never my thing. Um, you'll talk to opiate addicts that they say that they can drink a beer and they're fine. Like they don't need it. They don't, they're not really addicted to it. So there are certain things that afflict me, right? And that's how I used to be. And that, those things are certainly not limited to, to alcohol and drugs. I mean, there, I was a very ill spirited kid, you know, from, from way before drinking. Um, and then what I did as I applied this process and I continue to apply this process to certain things, if I apply this process to smoking, you will get what it is that you will get if you apply this process to drinking or if it is to womanizing or if it is to gambling or overeating or whatever it is that you need to, that you find objectionable or you find yourself powerless over. And um, that's what happened with me. I've applied this process to, to certain things and little by little, I apply it to more and more things. And even though I will never be perfect, I, the goal is that I will apply it to every single little detail of my life and those things that I have applied it to that's where I can tell you how it's like now with those things um and so just a little about who I was you know what it was like um I was a little kid who at five years old um was peak uh, I'm from Honduras by the way and in Honduras you don't have to be um uh, you don't have to be rich to have a maid it's just uh Society over there, you mean, not to get into anything like that, but uh, you don't have to have a lot of money to have a maid. And that's what we had. We had a maid growing up over there and she lived with us and everything. And 
Um, I remember being five or six years old, something somewhere around that. And uh, I don't even remember my age, but I remember I was living in Honduras and I had to be around five or six years old. And I remember peeking into her room, trying to see her boobs. And I remember that back then, that's who I was. I was an ill-spirited little kid trying to do the wrong thing. I remember cutting out pictures of breasts and taking them to school. This was my first grade. I remember uh, from magazines, my, my mom's magazines. I remember um, moving to this country, being eight years old, and there being a, a cat. I guess we had a kitty cat. I don't remember much about that kitty cat, except for the fact that I would basically launch it up into the air and and it would, you know, basically scream and they would you know be scared out of its wits and I remember enjoying that I remember um being at another apartment here in the United States when I must have been eight or nine years old and get taking little toads the little baby toads and we would go up with my friends and would go up to the second floor and we would basically chuck them from the second floor and they would land and splat you know I was an ill-spirited kid I was an ill-spirited person I truly don't know if I was born with it. I cannot say, but it seems that way. It seems that I was born with this. Um, all this time, in this time that what it was like, right, in the past, all this time I had a soft, gentle voice. I had a soft, gentle voice that was not audible. It's not something I heard. Um, it wasn't, you know, God never came down to me and, and sat down on a bench next to me. It was just this thing that I knew I was doing something wrong. I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing that. I knew I shouldn't be doing that. I, I, could, I could be compassionate towards this cat, towards these little toads, towards whatever. To, and I didn't listen. And this whole time, my whole entire life, that voice has been with me, trying to guide me to a better life, to a life of peace, because when I am compassionate towards animals and towards people, I have peace. But when I'm not, I don't have peace. And that this whole time I've been not listening. And when I was about 13 or 14 years old, you know, I, uh, I found these little, I found, I found booze. And then I found other things, you know, I found drugs and, and I found women. And I found that when I would, I found so many things that would, basically turn down the volume of this soft, gentle voice trying to guide me to peace, trying to guide me to, to a new freedom that I had never known. Um, and all I had to do was listen to it. Usually it was saying, help this person, be compassionate, be kind. What would you feel like? All of these things. And, 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 and those things really helped suppress that voice. The thing that worked best for me was booze, which is why I consider myself an alcoholic. But honestly, many things helped too. And, um, you know, I ran with it for a very, 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 very long time. I really, really ran with it with a very, for a very long time. And every, as I, as I progressed in my alcoholism, I, I truly could hear that voice even louder and even louder every time I got, I came to, or every time I came back from a, a drunken stupor or something like that. And the more, and the louder I heard that voice, the more I had to drink, the more I had to do these things. So what happened, I kind of explained at the uh, beginning of, of this, uh, of my, my story, which is I walked into that room, you know, and, and somebody told me that's not a big deal, man. You just seem to be suffering from alcoholism. 
And I did these steps and I went through the steps with him and I realized that the steps were not, you know, these, this formal going through of the steps, that initial um, 12 steps that I did were, were really not for me. That was for me just to learn the process so I could teach it to someone else. It was more important that I continue to work these steps on a daily basis. And as I continue to work these steps on a daily basis, it's simply a difference between Albert, recovered Albert, and sick Albert. I don't even have to say there's a difference between me and, and a newcomer. Um, there's a difference between recovered Albert and sick Albert. And that difference is simply that when I'm recovered, I am working this process. And therefore, I have a complete, like 100%, 100% complete shift or the, the book mentions it as a revolutionary change, and I paraphrase it, but a revolutionary change in my attitude and my perspective towards life, towards the people in front of me, towards everything on earth and in this universe, and even towards whatever God may be, may or may not be. Um, I have a new perspective towards the goodness in me, towards that soft, gentle voice. And when I have that perspective, I have freedom, I have peace, I have the fear of, of, of people, of economic insecurity, any other kind of fear that I have, which my life is plagued and riddled by fear, it goes away. And I only get that perspective when I do these steps on a daily basis. And what I usually find is I usually find warning signs, or I should say like dashboard indicators, kind of like a, my, my sponsor uses this metaphor or this analogy of driving your car and, you know, you start to have these disturbances or this, this uh, fear, resentment, or, or even, even bad conduct. And these are just, these are just, it's nothing to get riled up about. These are just, you know, dashboard indicators, engine lights going off. Something is up, something is up. And it really is, is, is that black and white and that, you know, cut and dry for me these days. It's, when I have a disturbance, I 100% know that I can that I can do two things, and I only have two options. I have two roads, and I can continue to try to manage it myself, or I can accept the spiritual help that was given to me. And I no longer have to call my sponsor every day, or actually, like I said before, I haven't talked to him in a while because he provided that spiritual help to me, and he stuck to it so he deviated so little from this book that all I have to do is pick up this book. Like I, I don't have to call him. I mean, I mean, I can, and he won't, it's not like he's not going to answer, but I don't have to. It's, you know, he, he did his job. He showed me this and, and I and, you know my job is to show this to someone else. And, and if they do end up moving to Alaska or, or, or Canada, you know, they don't need me because I'm not God. I'm not going to save them. And, and, and neither is this book. Don't get me wrong. This book isn't God. It, what, what the book is, it has, just has these directions. I really don't call my sponsor anymore, not because I'm a rebel and I try not to do what they tell me to do. It's, it's just there's no need for it. He gave me the spiritual tools and they're all in this book. Uh, the book's not sacred itself, but it has these clear-cut directions that when I follow them, and I don't know why or how, but when I follow them, I seem to hear that clear, that, that soft, gentle voice loud and clear. And I listen to it. All I have to do is listen to it. Heck, 
all I had to do was listen to it when I was five and peeping into the, that maid's boobs. Uh, all I had to do was listen to it when I was eight and 12 and 13 and 17 and 21. I mean, all I had to do was listen my whole life and I would be in a way better position that I've been, that I ended up in. And that's it. That this that that is basically my story. I I have applied this program, and now I can align myself with that soft, gentle voice, and I can listen to it and let me let it guide me. Uh, it is my employer. Um, it is you know it, it is the boss. Uh, and as soon as I decide that I want to do what I want to do, you know, because I've worked so hard for it, or because I deserve this, or what, and then it happens quite often actually. Um, then I then I shut it off. Well, you know, I, and, and, and I don't want to hear it. You know, I don't, I don't like being disciplined by that soft, gentle voice, no matter how gentle it is. I don't like to be disciplined because I do not like this, the, the leveling of my pride that it takes. Um, but once I do, man, every single time, like without fail, this, this, this gives me freedom, serenity. And, um, you know, the, to, to the newcomer, like my sponsor said, if you if you need advice, um, I can't give you any in the sense that I can't manage my life. Not, <laughs> no, I'm definitely not going to sit here and try to manage yours by telling you what to do. But I can tell you this. If you are dying, if you are feeling like you do not want to do this again, you do not want to fall into that same pattern again, yet you feel like it's going to happen because... Life isn't okay because you feel depressed, because you feel that that you can't seem to reach your potential. You know you can be a good person, but you just can't seem to reach it. Uh, I'll tell you this. All you have to do is follow the simple steps, the simple directions in that book. Um, it is much easier to do so with a sponsor, which is why I did it with a sponsor. Um, but all the answers are in that book. Um, and that's uh, pretty much all I got, guys. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Albert. I really appreciate it. Uh, now's the time where we go around and uh, just us three idiots kind of talk about how we relate to uh, some of the stuff that you just touched upon in your story. If I can go first, um, when, when you mentioned about putting the plug in the jug, um, I feel like that is something some of the old timers w- will say. Um, when somebody first gets in the room, but there's a lot of work that has to be done afterwards and putting the plug in the jug, you, you soon realize if anyone has tried to do it before they came into the rooms, how uh, ineffective it is of dealing with uh, life on life's terms afterwards, you know, and, and you realize that after having, uh, you know, many 24 hours without it, but then really not coming into the rooms. And until it is, and you have that spiritual connection, that's, I always call it the magic. That's when the real magic happens because then you can actually start to see some changes because you're putting in that work and you're starting to do the steps and you're putting the proverbial pen to paper with your sponsor and going through it. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's the, uh, the work that especially, I mean, until you get to, uh, step four, when you're really writing out and trying to see your part, uh, you know, that's that initial work and relearning how I, I had, I'll tell you, I had no spiritual connection before I 
got to step three and then I just kind of did it until it made sense to me. And it took some time, but every single day I would start and I would drop to my knees. And now um, I, you know, I do it instead of because I need to, or because I need something, it's because I want to, you know, it's because I want to do that because I see the, the fruits, fruits of that labor pay off in the promises that are talked about in the book. Uh, you also talked about, uh, you know, how you felt like it was, uh, it was good news that you were an alcoholic and it is good news uh, because without it, if I knew that I just had problems, but somebody didn't tell me that I was an alcoholic, um, I would be screwed, you know, without, without having steps to actually guide me through um, and really be grateful you know, I, I didn't know what gratitude was uh, before I came in and I would uh, take, take, take. You talked about, you know, the, whether it was the, the story with the maid or the toads, it was whatever, whatever got you pleasure. You know, it, it, you didn't care about the outcome of other people. And until that self-seeking slips away, I think that's where that's where uh, the change in you happened, you know, and being a teacher, as you talked about your, your current profession, uh, that is one of the professions that is more giving than any other because it is taking uh, much the same as a sponsor will take what's in the big book and help uh, guide a sponsee, uh, you know, also known as pretty much a student. You know, it's like class is done once you're uh, on to step 12 and then you can teach the next uh next uh like the younger group if you will like a new sponsee and that's such a a selfless job that i see one that doesn't get thanked enough no matter if you're teaching preschool or college it's not thanked you know so uh i have friends my actual first sponsee uh first sponsor was uh, and still is a teacher of fourth grade and I, I always ask him, I pick his brain on, on what he's teaching the class. And then, you know, there's a lot of similarities with sponsees that I've had in the past and different things because everybody learns differently. So um, thank you for kind of teach us a little bit about that, Albert, today. Uh, Dennis, do you want to go next? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, thank you, Albert, for uh, taking your time out of your day and uh, sharing your story with us. I appreciate it. Um, let's say uh, the first thing that you mentioned, I think Mike kind of touched on it as well, is uh, how you were struggling before you came in and you were quitting and stuff, but you weren't really staying quit and stuff like that. Um, Me personally, I went like a year and a half dry before I ever walked into the rooms. And in a lot of ways, things got worse for me. You know, I quit drinking, but I didn't really know how to function or live and and stuff like that. And it wasn't until I came to the, to the rooms and like started working the steps where I started like truly recovering, becoming, uh, functioning better and then learning how to live and ha- learning how to live properly. You know? Um, also you kept mentioning the, the, that little voice and that re- personally reminds me of my, my favorite recovery movie of all times, which was, uh, Walt Disney's animated Pinocchio and you know he had uh, Jiminy Cricket was this little his little conscience 
<laughs> that kept like once whispering to him like no pinocchio don't go do that don't go do this or whatever and he kept uh ignoring him and eventually he would be like oh get away from me jimmy cricket i'm not listening to you anymore and then he went off and he smoked cigars and drank alcohol and partied with the rest of the boys and they all ended up turning into jackasses <laughs> and i i think uh, i had a that same experience with me where when I was younger, there was always this little voice that knew right from wrong. The problem was, is I didn't listen to that, that voice. You know, I would always ignore it or whatever. And the, the more I ignored it, the less it seemed to speak to me or whatever. And, you know, eventually, you know, I would always like when I knew I was going to do something I really shouldn't have done, like, should I go out and party this way or go home so I could wake up to go to work the next day or any of the other delinquent stuff that I did or whatever, I would always get to the point where it was like this struggle of this little voice, like, no, don't do this. You shouldn't do that. You know, you shouldn't do it. It's not, this is what's going to happen. And the other one's like, ah, oh, just do it. It'll be fun. Who cares? And I always get to that point where I get the efforts and I just be like, F it. And then ignore the, the Jiminy Cricket or that little voice and run off. And then it always turned into something else, you know. And I think, you know, working the steps and getting a, a conscious contact with a higher power and like getting well spiritually uh, kind of intensifies that little voice a little bit more to where it's no longer this like separate little voice where it just becomes like a part of me it's it's the main voice that i listen to and then that other voice that's just saying f it and go out and do this who cares what it how it affects other people that starts to diminish and get a lot smaller yeah um uh, you know to prevent myself from rambling on longer i'll i'll end with that but uh Thank you again for uh, sharing your story with us. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Dennis. James, what do you think? Hey, guys. Uh, thanks again, Albert. Um, <clears throat> one thing I liked, uh, you started um, with uh, page 29. I never really heard anyone talk about that until I heard you for the first time. And um, I went back and read it. And, you know, since I saw you at the East Side Club. And uh, it's it's so true, like... I love the fact that right there it tells you, like, there's a bunch of stories in the back. They all have one purpose, and that is to show you how people came to find a God of their understanding. And that's the whole program right there. I was in and out of the rooms for um, over 14 years, and there was no God in any of that. I, I didn't have a problem with it. I just didn't, I didn't care. I, I, didn't, I didn't get it. Because I didn't care. I didn't want to get it. And I didn't want to do the work. And it wasn't until, you know, I actually had the spiritual experience when I was out drinking that I was able to actually, like, believe in any kind of power greater than myself. Before, there was there was no spiritual realm. There was nothing. That was all hocus-pocus to me. But once you kind of have that paradigm shift and you can really see the world differently um you know people like myself you know they're lost they can't they can't really get it i love how you talk about it. you just have to have the willingness i i personally never had the willingness and i would have died 
had I not had that experience, I, I think God really took pity on me. And he's like, oh, here, just take this. And then that was enough for me. And I was like, holy. And I wanted to congratulate you on uh, no cussing because I heard your story at the rooms and <laughs> holy cow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was impressive. My, one of the best parts when, when you said that you were an ill-spirited little and then you said kid. I was like, oh, <laughs> it's much funnier the other way. Yeah. So I wanted to thank you. Yeah, great stuff. Appreciate you. Yeah, thank thank you guys for having me, man. Um, um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I, I don't want to continue rambling. I, I feel like when I when when I speak to other to others who who have my disease, um, I'm I could I could speak, and what I mean I speak is not necessarily speak, but speak and listen. Like I could have conversations that could last forever. Like we we my fellowship, and I didn't mention my home group. I don't have a home group per se. But as far as like the triangle goes in unity and the group, the group that the fellowship that I've created around me, um, people who think alike, uh, people who, who, you know, do this process, you know, we, we, our meetings go two and a half, three hours sometimes because of this, you know, because I could sit here and, you know, you'll say something and then I'll be like, yes. And that's how it is for me. And I'd identify with that and relate to that. And you can identify with that. And it's so wonderful like I, I truly we were doing that one time and i'll and I'll, I'll end with this we were doing that one time and I, I was never a smoker um so i don't have that nicotine itch but my sponsor mentioned to some guy who who mentioned something at the beginning like uh like he needed a cigarette and we began this long discussion and by the end of it my sponsor's like isn't it funny that it took your nicotine itch out of it like you like you you forgot about it my my itch but while i'm doing this while i'm doing this i don't need a drink i don't need a drug i don't need to go shopping for those shoes that i that that before this meeting i swear i need them right like i don't need anything except this connection with with other human beings and i and i couldn't have that before and that's what i'm most grateful for so thank you guys for for allowing me to come in on this podcast good stuff absolutely uh, thank you so much albert so that's uh that's episode six we'll be back next thursday with a special guest sharing their experience strength and hope with us on episode seven and where the defective character is entirely ready to have all these character defects removed remember don't drink no matter what and see you next time